out of the corner of my eye, I caught something in my grandpa's bedroom to the left. So I stopped, turned, walked over to my grandpa's bedroom, and I saw my grandpa on his knees praying. Every day he prayed fervently for his wife, he prayed for his kids, and he prayed for all 23 grandchildren. When he could no longer pray on his knees just due to the physical ability, an inability to do that, I found him again on his bed, on his knees, propped up with pillows, praying for his wife, for his kids, and for all 23 grandkids. That image is just burned in my mind. If you were part of what was called the Duncan clan, if you were part of the family, you knew. It was just a fact. Grandpa Duncan was interceding for you. Grandpa Duncan was praying for you. I didn't expect to cry. <laughs> if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what are you and I? You and I are family. You and I are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And like my grandpa faithfully and lovingly prayed for his family, you and I are commended by God to faithfully and lovingly pray for one another. Hold your place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and turn quickly to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. As you're turning there, you'll remember that Samuel was a spiritual leader of God's family. He was one of the judges of Israel. He was one of the prophets of God. And in 1 Samuel chapter 12, he's addressing the family of God, talking to the entire nation gathered together. And he says... Look at what he says in verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Some of your texts read, God forbid, at the beginning of that verse. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Samuel understood that God's people were, his, were God's family and his family. So he faithfully and he lovingly prayed for his family. Turn a few pages to the left. Turn to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, 
At the beginning, the Israelites, they're just about to enter into the promised land. And they get so scared. Look at what they do in Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. Numbers 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt! Or would that we had died in the land or in the wilderness. These people are so lacking in faith. They're so scared that they're crying out, saying, I wish we were back in Egypt. I wish we could die as slaves as Egypt. I wish we were just die lost, ran in a random place in the wilderness rather than trust God and go into the promised land. And this this wicked whining eventually turns the what? Eventually turns the deadly rebellion. Look at verse 4. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Forget you, Moses. Forget you, Aaron. And it gets worse. Go down to verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, to execute them. Then God comes along in verses 11 through 12 and says, I'm going to destroy these people. And what does Moses do? Starting in verse 13, what does he do? He begins to pray for these people. And he doesn't pray that God would smite them because they're about to stone him. Look at what, they, look at what he says. Look at verse 19. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your love. Just if you have now forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Moses, despite them wanting to murder him, prays for him. Absolutely astounding. And this is not an isolated incident for Moses. You read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and it's praying constantly. Moses constantly interceding for God's people. He understood the call to pray for the body of Christ, to pray for God's people faithfully. We see this throughout the Old Testament concerning those who follow God. We turn to the New Testament and we see Jesus doing what in John chapter 17? We see Jesus praying for who? Jesus praying for you. Jesus praying for me. Jesus praying for all the believers around him and all the believers to come. We see in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, what is Jesus doing now in heaven? He's interceding for you and me before God the Father. I don't deserve no interceding and neither do you, amen? amen? But that's what Jesus is doing. Hebrews says that he lives, Jesus lives in heaven to make intercession for you and me before the Father. And in light of that, what do we see throughout the New Testament? We see commands to follow in Jesus' footsteps and pray faithfully for one another. In James chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Confess your sins to one another 
and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It says in Ephesians 6, 18, praying that we should be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for, it should say, typo, all the saints, period. Jesus is our example. He intercedes for you and me, and we are called to intercede through prayer for one another. It's a command given throughout Scripture. If you and I are believers in Jesus Christ, we are family. Turn to the person behind you and say, You're family. Now, turn to the person next to you and point at them and say, your family, whether you like it or not. <laughs> All right, bring it in. <laughs> I lost you. Bring it in. You and I are the family of God. And like a healthy family, like a loving family, we are called throughout Scripture to pray for one another. We're commanded to pray for one another. And this is not, this is not an impossible command to obey. It is absolutely and totally possible for you and I to be a people of family that are constantly praying for one another. It's not a pipe dream. It's been done before, and you and I, as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit, can live like, we can have this fellowship, we can express, rather, we can express this fellowship through prayer. We can be a praying church. Now turn back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. What are we going to see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3? We are going to see Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy incessant, how they incessantly prayed for their church family. They are going to follow Christ's example. They are going to obey his command. They are going to incessantly pray for the body of Christ. It's absolutely beautiful. And the first thing we're going to see today is the frequency. The frequency. Don't pay attention to the verse afterwards. We'll get to that. Look at verse 10, the verse before our passage today. As we, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, most earnestly, night and day, as we pray most earnestly, night and day. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit empowered them and drove Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to pray how much Night and day. And this was not a new thing. This was not an abnormal thing for these people. It says in Romans chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers. To the church in Ephesus, Paul writes, 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This is not going to show up on the board, but in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul writes to the church, We have not ceased to pray for you. In the second letter of Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians, he says in chapter 1, verse 11, we always pray for you. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy incessantly prayed for the family, their family, their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, in light of this, just think, I want us to think about four things. One, think about how glorifying to God this is. God commands us to pray for one another. And Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they take that command to heart and they do it day and night. Obeying God's command to pray for one another was not a last resort. It was not an afterthought. It was not reserved for a special occasion. It was not just for hard times. It was daily life, night and day. They wholeheartedly obeyed and thus God is glorified. To just think about how this encouraged the family of God, knowing that my grandpa faithfully prayed for me was just an incredible encouragement. It just made me want to be a better believer in Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus all the more. Three, think about how encouraging this was for Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy themselves. When you and I love God by obeying God, like they're doing here and praying for these people, what does that bring? It brings joy, joy, joy. Even if our obedience brings temporary trial or temporary persecution, we know that the joy of obedience is greater. That's Jesus goes to the cross knowing the joy set before him. These guys are obeying, and it's not a burden. It is a joy to experience God working through them to obey and pray for these people. Lastly, think about who Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were. Just like every other believer, they were sinners saved by grace. Just like every other believer, they were filled with the same Holy Spirit that indwells every single believer. What does that mean? That means you and I can do the same. That means you and I can incessantly... Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be absolutely incredible... If you walked through those doors on Sunday morning and you knew it was just a fact lodged in your brain that when you walked through, you were amongst a people, a family that incessantly day and night prayed for you and vice versa. Wouldn't that be incredible? That is not a pipe dream. It's happening here through the same working of the Holy Spirit, just like the Holy Spirit, as we submit to the Holy Spirit, can work through us and we can be a church that prays day and night for one another. Now look again with me at verse 10. Look at the request. The request. 
as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Or your text may say, perfect you in the faith. Their request initially is to be together. Healthy, loving family wants to be together. They pray in light of this that they can see each other face to face. And now notice why. Why do Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy want to be? Why do they pray so fervently to be with them? It says that they may supply what is lacking in their faith. At this time, when this letter is written, these Thessalonians are new believers in Jesus Christ. And not only are they new believers in Jesus Christ, but they have just gone through and are continuing to go through persecution. So what do they need? They need building up. They need building up in the faith. They need to grow in the faith. And Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, out of love for their family, are saying, God, let us be with them so we can minister alongside them, so we can help them and teach them all that you have given us to proclaim, so we can build them up in the faith. Let me say it this way. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, getting with the believers, fellow believers, was more than just a positive social experience. It was about more than being with people they liked. It was about, we're the family of God, and we're called by God to build each other up. So they pray in light of this, and they pray fervently. Turn for a moment to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 9. It's like a carbon copy of what we're seeing in 1 Thessalonians. What we see in 1 Thessalonians is not a one-off. It's the common practice. It's what they do. Look at verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Why does he want to be so badly with these people? Verse 11, for I long to see you. Why? To impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Paul, like with the Thessalonians, wanted them. He wanted to be with them. Why? Not just because it was socially pleasant, but because he wanted them as fellow believers in the body of Christ, representing Christ, to grow in Jesus Christ. To be built up. Now turn back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul longs to be with the Thessalonians like he did with the Romans. Why? Not for a good, necessarily for a good time, but for spiritual growth in Christ to help them, to help them put off sin, put on righteousness for the glory of God, to become mature in Christ. Let me say it this way. Paul did not have a live and let live mentality. Not at all. Ignoring sin, playing down sin, condoning sin to avoid conflict and just enjoy each other's company on Sunday was like the farthest thing from his mind. Live and let live is just unbiblical garbage. 
He's praying that, I want to be with you. God, let me be with them. Why? So I can grow them. So that you working through me, they can never be the same again. Not live and let live, but totally changed. Totally transformed. Now in the following verses, verses 11 through 13, what does Paul write? He sort of writes out a prayer. And like we see in verse 10, it begins with a request. And the request is to be with the Thessalonians. Look at verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord direct our way to you. Just for a moment, let your eyes go over to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 18. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. You may remember when we were in this passage, that word hindered was a military term used to describe an army breaking up the road or putting barriers on the road to stop an oncoming army. And that's what Satan was doing. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they want to go, they want to minister among the Thessalonians and lift them up in the faith, and Satan's putting up these barriers. And in light of that, we go back to our passage, and it says, direct our way, verse 11 of chapter 3, direct our way to you. That's interesting because the word direct is literally to smooth out, to make the path straight and smooth, or to take down every barrier. So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are saying, Satan's been at work hindering our fellowship, hindering our ability to lift you up. God, please take that away so that we can be together, so that we can grow as the body of Christ. One more note here, very important in verse 11. Notice who Paul is praying to. He's praying to the Father, and he's praying to the Son. At the very same time. Why? Because God is triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is one God who is three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he prays to God the Father. Because God the Father is God. And he prays to the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus is is God. It's completely appropriate and good to pray to the Father, pray to Jesus. This is reinforced by the word direct. It's written in the Greek in the singular, as if they're both working as one. He's praying to them both, saying you're going to function as one. It's just a beautiful picture and reminder of the Trinity. So we see this initial request now we go into the next request. Look at verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do. In, for, in John chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another. 1 John 4, 7, let us love one another. 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
This is so interesting because what were the Thessalonians excellent at? They were excellent at loving one another and loving those outside the body of Christ. You look back at chapter 1, verse 2, and what is Paul giving thanks for? Their abundant love for one another, their labor of love for one another, and their labor of love for those who are outside of the body of Christ in terms of their evangelism. They were excellent at love. But Paul understood that when it comes to love, there's always room to grow. Amen? So we praise in light of this increase their love. First, it's increased God. Put me amongst them to help build up their faith. Next, it's God increase and let their love abound. He prays this way. He loves the body of Christ this way. Now, I have to say this in regards to this word love. The world says love is love is love. And what does the world mean when they say that? There are multiple meanings, but one is that love is unconditional acceptance and approval. That if I love you, that if I love you, I have to accept and approve of all that you are, think, and do. What is that? That is garbage. That is the opposite of what Jesus did. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't say, hello, righteous. Hello, holy that don't need the change. I accept you. No. Jesus communicates over and over again. Every single human being is 100% unacceptable. 100% unapproved by God, so unacceptable, so unapproved by God that there's a place called the eternal lake of fire that everyone is going to if they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come to say, I accept you, I approve of you. No, he came to say, I don't accept you, I don't approve of you. And the only way to become acceptable and become approved is by what? To accept and believe in yourself? No, deny yourself. Be reborn. Be absolutely remade. Totally new. Ah, this is a weird illustration. How, raise your hand if you've seen the movie How to Train Your Dragon. Okay, good. It might work. All right. So in the movie, How to Train Your Dragon, let me try to remember the guy's name, Gobber. Gobber is the name of the father. Hiccup is the name of the son. And at an early point in the movie, Gobber the father says to the son, if you want to kill dragons, you're going to have to change all of this. And he motions to his son's entire person. And the son says, you've just pointed to all of me. And the father says, yes, change all of it. That's exactly what Jesus' message is, right? Every single one of us, Jesus comes and says, you need to change all of it. It all needs to go. The old self needs to be dead and gone. 
I don't accept of it. I don't approve of it. If it doesn't change, hell is on the way. I don't accept of it. I don't approve of it. You need to be radically transformed, totally changed, utterly made new. Then, as a result of believing in me, trusting in me and my righteousness being applied to you, then you will be accepted. Then you will be approved. Jesus did not say, love, i got to say it this way, love is love is love. That's the opposite of his message. So when we look at this verse, and Paul is desperately praying for their love to increase, we can't think like the world thinks. This is not him saying, I hope these Thessalonians are just so unconditionally accepting and approving of everything and everyone, everything everything they think and do. No, the word here is agape, and that is a self-sacrificial love. It's saying, hey, I'm going to give of myself to bring you to Christ. That's what agape is. It's to give of yourself, to be at cost, to do something at cost to yourself to bring you to God. That's what Jesus did, right? Cross is cost to Jesus. For what purpose? To bring you and I closer to God. So when we look at this, he's saying increase your love saying increase that self-sacrifice, increase that willingness to say, I will do anything for my brother and sister in Christ to draw them closer to Christ or to help them or to help an unbeliever see Christ. So he prays this way. He prays that they will grow in their faith. He prays that they will grow in love. And then we come to the motivation. It's Jesus coming back. Look at verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Just a short while ago, my daughter Elena, Levi, Levi, my son, and John, my son, you guys are in the sermon. (laughs) What did they do? They cleaned the entire first floor of the house. Yes! They cleaned it and they made it as spotless as they could. It wasn't perfect, but it was awesome. And when I came home, they were like, Do you see? It was just such a joy for them to say, Dad, like, aren't you well pleased? Like, look what we got to do for you. That's sort of what's happening here. Paul is so wanting these believers to be holy, to be set apart, to grow in their faith, to grow in their love. Why? So when the king comes back, they can go. This is amazing. Like, Now let me say something different, kids. When they misbehave, which is like never, and Kimberly's had it up to about right there, they don't want me to come home. Right? They don't want me to come home. And the same is true of you and me. When you and I are living in sin, we don't think, I hope the king comes back 
and finds me living the life he did not call me to live. None of us want that if we're a believer in Jesus. We all want to be found doing his will, growing in faith, growing in our love for one another for his glory. And Paul, he just so loves, he just so loves these people and he so wants them to be found this way. Whether it's they die and go to Christ and they're absent from the body and are with Christ or Jesus comes back. He just so wants them to grow, so wants them to love, to have this ability to say, God, like, you're well pleased. I hope this is what I've been living for. So he prays for all this. And I just have one application this morning to close out. It's pray like Jesus is coming back. Pray like Jesus is coming back. We ought to hate it so much to see a brother or sister not growing in faith or living in sin because the next moment Christ may come back. And wouldn't it be a horrible thing to say, my brother and sister in Christ, I didn't reach out to them, I didn't pray for them, I just left them so when the king comes back, they're not... What a None of us want that for each other. So what do we need to do? We need to pray for each other like Jesus is coming back. Night and day, with the utmost frequency, we bring all of this to Christ. We have fellowship with one another. And God wants us to live it out this way. Let's pray. Dear God, you are, you're amazing. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that paid it all and made all who believe a part of your family. And I thank you, God, for that incredible truth. That's the best truth. And I thank you, God, that in light of that, we can act like family. And in that, we can...